we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. Texas is back, or are they? Chapter 22. <laughs> college Game Day gets a new family member, and that's really big news, and also plenty of picks coming up on this Friday edition of the College Game Day Podcast for September 9th, 2022, College Game Day in Austin, Texas. Reese Davis, along with Pete Thamel and the great Bill Connolly, the only one who is mildly respectable in the picks <laughs> so far. Uh, Bill's batting 500. Uh, Pete, you and I are going to be sent on a rehab assignment back, <laughs> back down to the minor leagues and arm strain. See if we can get see if we can get the glutes going again or something because we've been getting our tails kicked in the in week one. Anyway, uh, Bill, uh, we got a lot of things to talk about. I do want to talk some about the Pat McAfee decision, which I, it's phenomenal for College Game Day. But in terms of on the field, week one, uh, you're handing out the Heisman every week because <laughs> because we never can start too early doing that. So who oh, won the right. Heisman this week for you? Uh, the return. It's, it's funny that this is a surprise, I think, but the uh, returning starting quarterback of the defending national champions, I think, <laughs> had the best week of last year, and it surprised people. Uh, Stetson Bennett was absurd. That whole offense um, was just so much fun to watch. They had le- Oregon leveraged in every wrong way possible for you know the first seven drives of the game or whatever. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and he he was pretty much perfect. So yeah, I, I decided uh, you know this is something I did like ten years ago. Uh, I played around with like a horse race kind of deal, and it was fun. It was the year where Geno Smith starts off like this and wins the Heisman <laughs> for like five straight weeks, and then Johnny Manziel just very uh, slowly reels him in. But it'd be fun to try it again and, and right now you know Bryce Young's up there Caleb Williams is up there but Stetson Bennett won the Heisman in week one I say you know what hey Pete that brings to mind one of our listeners reached out to me heard us talking about Stetson earlier I think I drew a comparison to perhaps Doug Flutie mm-hmm. and you know the fact that Doug Flutie owns a Batmobile Maybe multiple Batmobiles, but I mean, the actual Bill, the actual Batmobile. But Bill already knows that because Bill is a loyal listener of this podcast, even when he's not a guest. So I'm sure you already knew that, Bill. Don't admit it if you didn't. Um, he has got a Batmobile, and we were saying, okay, what kind of superhero would Stetson Bennett be? What kind of superhero car would he have? But one of our listeners had a better idea. And again, I promise we're going to get to a lot of stuff, but let's quickly play this Stetson Bennett game. Would he start? He said we should go through, list some teams. Would he start there? Okay. All right. All right. So I'm going to, and I'll I'll opine on this too, but I'll let Pete, you get the first swing and then Bill, and then I'll go. Would Stetson Bennett be the starting quarterback at Clemson? Yes. Bill? Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. Stetson Bennett would be the starting quarterback at Clemson. Would Stetson Bennett be the starting quarterback at Texas A&M? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Agreed. There's something to be said, just generally to step back for a minute, for an offense that's energized. Like an offense that's like, like to be, and it's an unquantifiable thing. I know we're here with Bill who tries to quantify everything and does better than anyone doing it, but they're like, like, like an offense that is playing in concert with the proper maestro, with everything running smoothly, with taking what the defense gives you, moving the chains, uh, mitigating mistakes, which really has been the evolution of Stetson Bennett, right? Like, I mean, there were self-destructive moments early, which is where the skepticism came from. So I really think like Texas A&M, Need, needs that as much as anything else. And those are the two of the more talented rosters who need someone to just, you know, uh, keep the trains moving on time. To his credit, he has shown he is more than a caretaker at this point. Yeah. I will I will give that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it, that, that was the biggest thing. You know, back in 2020 even, you know, you, you talk about quantifiable. Well, Georgia's offense has been pr- – pretty quantifiably good for the whole time that he's been in the lineup. It was just, we always kind of added a yeah, but to the whole thing. And, um, you know, he's, he's a former walk on he's, you know, he's, he's limited. He's a game manager. He's never been a game manager. He's been just a 
old quarterback and those mistakes kind of dried up after a while. He's been really, really good. He's been limited by the fact that his coaches didn't believe in him. Period. (laughs) Period. I mean, say what you want. He didn't get any first team reps last year. Now they liked him. They thought he was a good player. They didn't think he was a starter. The offensive coordinator certainly didn't think he was a starter believes now. And look at the difference. And there's a huge difference. This is all about the perception of him coming in. And that's why uh, I counsel any high school athlete in any sport. It's great to get, and I've talked to a lot of them, it's great to get the offer. You better go someplace where they love you because mm-hmm. coaches say, well, you'll decide on the field who said that's a bunch of junk. Look <laughs> at what's happening. Look what's happening in Texas. Look at what's happening <sighs> in Michigan. Now, it is true. It is true to a degree. Uh, so I don't want to say that they're cheating and they don't pay attention to anything that's happening on the field. What I'm saying is there are massive preconceived notions to overcome if you aren't the guy they think should be starting. You won't yeah. get you will get a sliver of a chance and only begrudgingly. And as I heard the story, Stetson wasn't even going to start against UAB last year until uh, maybe maybe Beck, I think it was Carson Beck. I, I'm one of the other younger quarterbacks when JT Daniels was hurt, didn't perform very well in practice that week. And Kirby sort of said, I think I can trust Stetson here to get us through this game. And he went out and threw 72 touchdown passes or something. <laughs> but, uh, you know, anyway, and he's made believers out of them. But rare is the oppor- rare is the situation where someone who isn't perceived to be the guy really gets the chance. That's rare. So when you're a high school recruit in any sport, better to go where you know you're loved rather than going someplace where they like you enough to let you be on the team. That, I mean, I, I firmly, firmly believe that. Okay, one more. Let's see. What's, I, I've got one for you. Probably an easy one. Would Stetson Bennett be the, which is a bizarre notion to think of, the team I'm about to say. Bill, would Stetson Bennett be the starting quarterback at the University of Notre Dame? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I mean, well, in terms of is he the best quarterback? Yeah, absolutely. It would be interesting to see how that race plays out where he's got the you got the blue chip red shirt freshman and everything. But I mean, he would have made the the Notre Dame offense much more effective last week. Pete, yeah, I would think you you'd you'd have to go there. I, I will be curious to see. Uh, I think Ohio State's defense is pretty good, and I think the sum is now sort of equitable to the parts as opposed to the past two seasons when they had really good parts and didn't have a great sum. And so um, I feel like we uh, we will judge uh, Tyler Buckner these next handful of games as in in, and get a fair a fair shake. And he's young; he's going to make some mistakes. I felt like he put them in danger two or three times and the ball kind of just hit yeah. the turf last week. Mm-hmm. Like he, there, there could have been and there. Again, there were no turnovers in that game, if I recall correctly. Um, and there could have been a, a, he looked a lot more susceptible to a, a self-destructive turnover than CJ Stroud did at any point. And I think Stetson would be the starter at Notre Dame. In fact, probably easier yeah. just to list the places where I don't think he would be the starter. I don't think he'd start at <laughs> Alabama. I don't think he'd start at Ohio State. I don't think he'd start at SC. Um, you know, there are other places where he would be in the race. I'm not saying he's clearly better than every other quarterback in the country beyond that. Um, there are a few other places. You know, maybe Miami would have a hard hard time beating out Tyler Van Dyke. Um you know, I tell you, you know, they got to keep your eye on for weekly Heisman. Uh, the cat at North Carolina is pretty good. Uh, Drake, Drake May, Drake yeah. May Luke May's little brother's yeah. a, a good player, too. He ain't little. He's not. OK, so here's the last Stetson Bennett question. <laughs> We're going to move on from from this. Will Stetson Bennett play in the second quarter against Samford Saturday? <laughs> Well, they move at such a slow tempo that that might only be two drives. So, um, second half, absolutely not. If yeah. he better not, but uh, you know, maybe it bleeds over into the first few minutes of the second quarter. I'll, I'll just make a suggestion that we ship him to Michigan to start week three to keep that going. Oh, and that would be amazing. Yeah, let's do a mid-season transfer portal and just add to the mix. Add to the mix there. College game day Saturday morning from Austin, Texas, and it's. It's going to be the debut 
on a full-time basis of Pat McAfee joining us. And Pat is a unique media talent. And as Pete and I discussed in the last podcast, Bill, there are no gradations of unique. You either are or you aren't. And Pat most definitely is. (laughs) He really fit in on the show. And he detailed this on his show yesterday, that this has been a long process where it was mostly about timing. I remember the first time he was on with us at South Dakota State. Um, We were leaving after the show and and Kirk and I post-show were walking out to the cars to leave. And we looked at each other and said, we need that guy on the show all the time because he brings, he, he just has something that's a little different that cuts through to people. He connects with people. He's authentic and he's going to be a great teammate for the show. He's really, he's really excited about joining the show. It's some, the show is something that he's grown up watching and cares about. And to add his uh, immense skill set to our show is going to be a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to Pat joining us on a full-time basis. It's going to be great, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm fired up, Reese. He obviously, I think the word you used is connection there, right? And mm-hmm. uh, his sort of self-created media career uh, that I've watched from afar has obviously been based on that. And uh, I realized after spending week one in Columbus and going to Ohio State practice with Jess Sims and being around that I was really brought on to college game day to be Jess Sims' photographer for all the people who come up and want pictures with her. So I really think the onus of photography is going to be really falling heavy on me because those are two people that uh, have come to the show, uh, Jess and Pat, that really like people, they have a magnetism and an aura to them and they, uh, people, people want to be around them. So yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty, pretty exciting. And all those years of my wife yelling at me to like focus the thing right and get it in portrait mode. I'm really like dialed in for my task (laughs) as we go from city to city here to give people the proper, uh, the proper images for IG. (laughs) Don't tell your magnetism short, Pete. Bill, don't you think, don't you think people are drawn into, into Thamel's orbit? Well, uh, yes, I, I, um, I think I assume there's a two-step process here. Oh, yeah, you're Pete Thamel. That's awesome. Hey, can you take a picture with, uh, of me with, with Pat over here? Uh, there'd be a legitimate p- period of, uh, rec- of recognition before they uh, ask for the uh, hand over the camera. So a lot of the wives of the Ohio State coaches were at practice on Thursday. They have family day. And my joke was they executed perfect swim moves. Larry Johnson, the D-line coach, would have been proud. <laughs> hey, Pete, good to see you. Oh! <laughs> they like swim like, yes, Sims, I take your Saturday 60 class. <laughs> and it felt like the worst left tackle in America because it was just like, <laughs> hey, nice to, oh, okay. <laughs> ne- never, never. Sell yourself short, Pete, because right now the people watching our show on YouTube, they're very concerned about you. Could could you hold up a newspaper to make sure that it's today <laughs> or right. being held hostage there? What what is going on with your look? What's happening there? So uh, we're, I'm in the, I'm already in Austin. Uh, I came in early to uh, to do a one on one with Quinn Ewers on Wednesday. And uh, I'm staying at the hotel, which is actually quite nice. I, I certainly would not be complaining. It's just it abuts another building behind me. And oh. this is one of my my pet peeves. It is a deskless hotel. This oh, hotel is pretty yeah. swanky. A lot. I don't think a lot of people are coming to this hotel to work. Oh. So I have like a table that looks like it should be where you set your mini bar up for your mm-hmm. happy hour. Like this is like where you put the Tito's, um, you know, before you go, uh, before you go down to one of these trendy Austin taco shops or whatever. And uh, yeah, so I had a little, uh, yes, it does look, it does look a little bit, uh, a little bit cave and Kabul behind me. I will, uh, I will admit that. And uh, I apologize for those watching, uh, wa- watching on YouTube. It's also pretty early in the morning. So I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not an organic morning person, but I'm, but I'm working on it. Hey, hey, Bill, do you know Pete would have had a full desk in his hotel if Colt hadn't gotten hurt? <laughs> I would oh, take I a, like an inferior <laughs> hotel for a, good, for a good desk. Like if, we, if we're talking travel uh, here, I would I, uh, I just I feel like I like to sit on a desk. I get my notebook. I like to get all my stuff organized like I'm like on a. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's, I, uh, I the sit desk. up. I, I sit because I I kind of lock in. Once I get there, I get there on Thursdays. I'll lock in. I sit up on the bed. I sit up straight, huh. you know, and then spread spread everything out on the bed. Now, if I will admit, if we have a good desk, then I then I work at the desk. But absent a desk, I think even last week I didn't like the desk situation in Columbus. Great hotel, but the desk <laughs> situation 
you couldn't really watch the game at the same time because yeah. it was like sitting in the front <laughs> row of a movie theater. You know, you're, you had to crane your neck straight up. So, uh, so I didn't. I didn't do that. Uh, I want to hear about the Quinn Ewers, so a little preview conversation. But the first thing I want to know, was the car that got towed the Aston Martin? I understand he's driving an Aston Martin. <laughs> so it was not. I did some deep investigation. It wasn't? Working okay. on this. It was only a Porsche. Oh, uh, oh is that all? Oh, he has an gosh. Aston Martin and a Porsche? I don't think he has an Aston Martin. Oh, he doesn't? I, I don't, I I don't I know that. that he had an Aston Martin. I, he has an NIL deal, I believe, with a local Porsche dealership. Oh, well, and yeah. it was a fairly innocent thing that a college freshman, or I guess he's now a, a sophomore, would do. Yeah. He like gave a parking pass to his parents, and it should have been the parking pass he used. And I guess he got towed from a garage, which is hard to do, by the way. Like that's just the logistics <laughs> of uh, the the logistics of that. So it, it didn't end up being that big of a deal. It was two hundred bucks. The it got towed to the softball field, which is I guess where they tow all the cars on Saturdays. And uh, yeah, it was it, it ended up being pretty pretty amusing more than uh, more than anything else. One of my friends jokes would be, "Is he could have an NIL deal with the tow truck company by uh, by next week?" <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that has been uh, that has been the big. Uh, the big kind of buzzy, uh, buzzy story in Austin this week. Um, so I sat down with Quinn uh, Wednesday afternoon and I had talked to him on the phone before and I'd met him briefly. I happened to be at Ohio State r- right when he got there doing a camp tour last summer. Uh, but I don't really know him. And I don't think anybody really knows Quinn yours in, in, a, in a way like it, from our space. I think we know a lot about him and um, he's very accidentally. Um, he's certainly not one who wants to draw attention to himself. I, w- I will say that uh, he's a quieter guy. Um and in fact, when I was talking to people, you know, in his family, and I talked to Riley Dodge, his high school coach, who's one of the more dynamic high school coaches in the country over there at South Lake outside Dallas. And, um, you know, they were all like, oh, you're talking to Quinn? Good luck. Like, because he's kind of a little bit of a little bit of a quieter, uh, quieter guy. But, uh, you know, a couple fun things uh, about it. Well, I asked him, I said, you know, look, you became the face of NIL and the face of the transfer portal, neither of which you really wanted to to do. And he was, he was, he was good. He was, he was, he was reflective about it. And basically he said what athletes have probably wanted to say for years. I had to do what was best for me. You know, like he went to Ohio state, it wasn't going to work. And so he came back home and, and he feels, and his family feels like this is all worked out in the end. Mm-hmm. Like he had committed to Tom Herman early on in his high school career. He wanted to go to Texas. He grew up watching Texas. He said, there's a family story where when Vince Young went to the end zone, he was two or three years old and he was like sitting in the living room, like playing with toys. So, but he idolized Colt McCoy. He got like, you know, he meeting Vince Young and Colt McCoy was a big deal to Quinn yours. He has uh, the state flag of Texas tattooed on his thigh. Um, so he was, he was, he was good. He was, he's, I, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed talking to him, and uh, I think I think people will will be interested in the interview, which is I think going to go Friday Sports Center in the evening, and then it'll be uh, in part on game day too. Just hearing him reflect a little bit on uh, on his journey and in this moment, he's I, I found him to be authentic and, uh, and and pretty interesting. You think he's a star now, Bill? You let him lead the twenty point underdog Texas Longhorns to a victory over Alabama, who broke their hearts in the 2009 season, then disappointed uh, the high rollers on the 40 acres when, depending on which version of the story you believe, they either tried to lure Nick Saban or almost lured Nick Saban, didn't get him. Let Quinn Ewers lead them to that upset victory. Let Sarkeesian have that signature moment right then behind that quarterback and – uh, the, he'll have all the Porsches he wants. He'll have he'll have everything he wants in that state uh, forever if they if they could do that. So we're going to make picks soon. So I don't want you to make the pick yet, but we'll we'll get it going in a second. Quinn, yours. What are the chances of that without you making the pick, Bill, from a mathematical perspective? <laughs> well, the biggest thing I learned when putting together my Friday column um, and kind of piecing together the the game he had. Like, I, I hope that Texas was keeping a lot in reserve in terms of the playbook. And I think they probably were. Um, you know, 16 for 24, 200-something yards. It was, it was a good performance. Uh, nine of those passes, if you, if you create a little box, like from the left hash to the sideline, five yards downfield and back. Uh, super easy passes, just good for a right-handed quarterback. Uh, he was eight for nine on those passes, which is fine. Um, those passes traveled a combined negative 11 yards 
but gained 118 yards after catch. She was just quick, like extension of the run game kind of stuff. Uh, and that was where a lot of their yards came from. Uh, he was 0 for 3 on passes, 20 yards or further downfield. Um, so I, I felt a little less good about the stats after I kind of dived in a little bit, but uh, we also know that this was Louisiana Monroe. They were obviously keeping things in reserve. Um, I'm curious what the, you know, where, where they think they can find advantages against Alabama. You know, we heard during the broadcast, Utah State was like, we think we can test their cornerbacks on the outside. And then they went like one for five passing, you know, on those longer passes down the sideline. Um, Texas will have, you know, better receivers than that, but it's still this Alabama defense might be the best one they've had in a few years. And we're going to, we're going to find out Quinn Ewers capabilities. Let's put it that way. We're going to find out exactly where his strengths are and and where he still needs to grow uh, against this defense. And everybody, including me talks about Will Anderson, because I think he's the best football player in the country. But if you commit extra blockers to him, then you got to deal with 15 Dallas Turner. And if yeah. you try to double up on them, they even have a package where they bring in 41 Chris Braswell. And, I mean, you, you're you not, not going to be able to commit enough to stop all of them. But it is a good plan to get the ball out of Ewer's hand fast and yeah. get it to Bijan Robinson, which is what <laughs> Bijan has told him to do. He's like, you know, when in doubt, check it right here. And he's, he's a great yards after the catch guy. Hey, let's uh, – Let's do some picks. Taylor, uh, despite the fact, and, and as a fair warning to the people listening, surely uh, our luck for Pete and me will change soon. But Bill's a 500 batter right now. Sarah is the one who's crushing it. Uh, she's, she's got the best record of the bunch. But Taylor, you want to call out some games for us and, and have us make picks here on Friday? Certainly. Do we want to reveal these overall records? Why don't we just reveal yeah. the... Okay. Yeah, yeah. we, gotta, oh, we need to it, own man. it. Yeah, own embrace it. the suck, as okay. Fitz would say. And there's a lot of hugging. You know, last year I did a pick show with Kevin Nagandi and Joey Galloway, and they were not about to reveal their overall record, so I appreciate the transparency, guys. <laughs> you know, look, here's the thing. Here's the thing about this, uh, Taylor and Bill and, and Pete. It's a true-false test, man. It's a true-false test. Because you can be on the right side and something weird happens at the end. They either do or they don't cover. And, you know, I'm not saying there's not skill to it. There is some skill to it. But, look, I mean, it's a half point on Appalachian State if the guy doesn't decide to turn around the two-point conversion. I'm on the right side of that, you know. and right. There, there are a lot of those like that throughout. The- I, I think we learn that the men and women in the arid region who do their formulas to, to pick these are very good at their jobs. I, I'm reminded of that every year because I'm like, yeah. And I was like, what was the, oh, wow. Yeah. It's a hook again. Like, like, or midway through the fourth, it's like right there. And then there's weird ones where you're like, man, I would have thought Louisville was a 13 point favorite. And then you're like, nope. <laughs> and at, they get at the, the doors blown off. You know, At the end of the day, as long, I mean, I, look, I want to be great in my picks on the podcast because we're all competitive. But as long as I knock off some big super dogs every now and then on the show on Saturday morning, <laughs> and I'd like to thank uh, Jed Fish and the great Jaden Delora and Jacob Cowing for, for bringing me home with the outright win on Saturday against uh, San Diego State. So, you know, at least there's that. I always look, I always look for the positive somewhere along the line. Before we move on, there's one quick thing I want to mention. Now, twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny as a podcast hosted by ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes reacting to the biggest games from the weekend. Every Tuesday, she'll highlight the winners and losers from the weekend with Dominique Foxworth. Then, later in the week, she'll be joined by different expert guests to preview the most intriguing games. That's the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. For those of you watching on YouTube, which is now the second reference I've made to that, Pete has now adjusted the lighting. He no longer looks as if there's a halo around his neck and maybe he's uh, you know, avoiding going into the white light. Pete, you need to stay, you need to stay with us. I'm I'm glad things are better. I was just bragging about my photography skills and I'm undercutting it as we speak. So <laughs> let's, let's pick some games start. We we've give us the records. We know we stink. Let's uh, okay. So overall, uh, 
fellow producer Sarah Abbott is nine and five on the season. <laughs> then we've got Bill Connolly, yeah. seven and seven, myself, six and eight. Uh, Pete, you are five and nine, and Reese, four and ten on the year. Last week's results Sarah, uh, six and three. Bill five and four, myself three and six, and Pete and Reese both a resounding two and seven. So we're picking <laughs> lots of games, lots of ground to uh, to be made up. So I'm looking forward uh, to it. I'll say I'm going to get say. a call from the eight six area code, and they're like, Pete, could you just sit the Friday podcast out and have Sarah take your place? <laughs> exactly. I'd be like, yes, yes. <laughs> if I if my winning percentage is two and seven again, uh, I will consult with Sarah for every pick next week. <laughs> yes. I, I will make before I, I will allow her veto power over all of my picks unless she's two and seven too, or something yeah. like that. Sarah, did you pick Nebraska? Um, so I did, but I actually texted Taylor at first when he was like, I just assumed Nebraska you would pick. And I actually was like, no, Northwestern. I know better. But then I changed my mind for moral reasons. Um, so you should yeah. be better, but you actually let your heart get in the way of your mind. Yeah. Isn't that just like the age old tell, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Let's, uh, uh, I don't know why, let's be gluttons for punishment and try to do this again. <laughs> All right, one one quick note here uh, from Darius at ESPN Sports and Information Group. I reached out this morning, we were talking about home underdogs, and he noted that home underdogs in week one had a straight up record of six and 11, but a record of nine and eight covering the spread, and that included both Hawaii games from week one and week zero, so... <laughs> Just something that's, to uh, chew on. There. That's not what I expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I expected it to be a little more definitive than that. But anyway, okay. All yeah. right. Bama at Texas. Bama, 20-point <laughs> favorite. Well, this is the only double-digit game. Uh, maybe the only one that we're picking, but the, certainly the largest spread. Let's go uh, Reese, Pete, Bill for this one. I, I have some pause for a number of reasons. Alabama's the better team. Alabama should win the game, but Texas has been pointing to this. It's the opportunity to make a definitive statement of the Sarkeesian era. Um, It's an 11 o'clock kick. The heat's not going to be a big factor for Alabama. It's hot in Tuscaloosa. If you've ever been to Tuscaloosa in August, it's hot. So it'll, the heat will be the same for both. Um, I mean, it always is, but I mean, the effect of the heat will be the same for both. <laughs> the thing the thing that does give me a little pause is Alabama's performance as a big favorite on the road last year. Um, they Now, they got out to a big lead at Florida, but they had to hang on. Uh, they pulled the Auburn game out of the fire at the end. And, and those, both of those games, they were, they were big favorites. There were a couple other games at home, too, where – they didn't perform as well, but on the road like that, I think, I think Saban is, is unbeaten in this situation as a strong record against the spread as he has just about any record you'll go because of that defense that I think has the potential for this era to be, you know, right on par with Georgia's defense last year, because the games played differently. I don't really equate them to like, some of Saban's early defenses there or some other great ones you might think of from other schools. I'm going to go ahead and begrudgingly lay it. Even with those, even with those fears about their performances as big favorites on the road last year in a couple of games and knowing that this is going to be a frenzied atmosphere as Nick often tells his team, uh, I'll clean it up a little for the kids uh, when you go into these environments, one of the big things is to en- endure the crap storm. And there there will be a crap storm early. There will be a play. There will be a tendency break or a play they haven't seen. What worries me about the spread is Texas popping a couple of those early and getting points on the board that you have to make up. But I'm still – I'm going to lay the 20, but it's uh, – it, I'm not strong and firm in, in doing that. But that's what I'll do. I'll take Alabama and lay the 20. I uh... – spent this week bemoaning my lack of being able to embrace uh home under home home underdogs right like we just we had we had it was i asked uh taylor to look up the stat so i'm gonna go completely against myself i was two and seven last week Uh, i think of this as alabama's opener and saban as a big favorite in openers has been elite 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 and i just think 
the two places where Alabama has a distinct advantage are the offensive line and the defensive line. I think they will dominate the trenches, and that's where Sarkeesian has to grow this program up to make it competitive in the Big 12, quite frankly, instead of in the, uh, you know, not even to mention the SEC. So I have that Arkansas game seared in my mind, and I have a lot of questions about Texas's defense still. So I, and I do think, like, if this is a two-touchdown game in the third quarter, there's a little incentive for Alabama in the state of Texas where it's recruited well and it's going to need to continue to recruit well for Nick to maybe keep the pedal on a little bit. So I just – I am going to protect myself against myself because there's a better chance this thing's 42-10 to 10 in the fourth quarter than there is it's 21-20. <laughs> so I'm going to – when in doubt, go with Saban. And if, I, if, if that is my North Star – and I lose, so be it. <laughs> so now I have to decide, do I clinch Texas covering by also going with Alabama and making it <laughs> unanimous? Or... Oh, no, Reese picked Texas, didn't here? No, I, I took Alabama. Oh, you did? Okay, yeah. All right, sorry. Yeah, so I... If Texas covers, there is a path to, to creating some good logic here. So who beats Alabama? It's, it's not necessarily, you know, the most polished offenses in this and that. It's Steven Garcia. Um, it's Chad Kelly. It's uh, the guys. Alabama does a great job of basically daring quarterback, college quarterbacks to make passes the college quarterbacks can't make. But the guys who are like, yeah, I'm trying it. Those are the guys who beat Alabama and Saban. And Quentin Ewers has an arm that made him pretty much a perfect recruit in high school. Uh, so he has that capability. And we'll find out if he can, if he can you know, have the YOLO game going here and, and, and <laughs> make some humongous throws. I cannot, and my, my numbers say Bama by 19, so they're not really helpful at all here, but I just cannot get past the idea of Texas's defense ranking 86th in defensive SP plus last year. Alabama has been top four for a number of years now. I can't get past the idea that last week uh, Texas really struggled on passing downs and now they have to face Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, et cetera. I just, I, 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 I'm, excited about the possibility of viewers making some big throws and I just can't go against Alabama. I just can't. So it's unanimous. And now Quinn Ewers makes some big throws and Texas covers. So you, are you orange. going? So where are you? Are you going? No, I'm, going Bama, I'm going Bama and I'm clinching that we're all going to lose yeah. this one. Yeah. Congratulations yeah. to all of you who just uh, decided to bet on Texas. We need ESPN stats and info for our record when we all think one thing. That's right. Because I think it's a pretty high percentage on the other way. (laughs) Anecdotally, on college game day, if you see one logo across the board at the bottom, I mean, it is is an absolute jinx for that team. Yeah. Somebody's taking a screenshot of that. Yeah, it's going all yeah I know. Yeah. That's, not, that's not even against the spread. That's, uh, that's always yeah. just straight up, and it's a jinx. What's next, Taylor? We've got South Carolina traveling to Arkansas, who is an eight-point favorite. Interesting game here. Last year, South Carolina had a solid defense, and its offense dragged them way down, and they couldn't beat anybody good or really stay close to anybody good last year for the most part. Um, so this year Spencer Rattler comes in and it was basically the exact same story in week one defense was good. Offense was dreadfully inefficient. Um, Rattler was under a lot of pressure. I know Arkansas, I think Arkansas has some, some secondary injuries, if I remember right. So like that, you know, you could kind of talk yourself into if he's able to buy time, then this one gets pretty high scoring and South Carolina keeps it close. But I think I, at this point, I trust Arkansas way more than I trust South Carolina. Uh, I I agree. I want to believe uh, that Sir Big Spur and the boys are going to roll in there and make it and make it a great game. But the offense didn't get off to a great start last week, as you mentioned. And candidly, I thought Arkansas had an opportunity to make that margin of victory uh, bigger against Cincinnati than it was. Missed some opportunities. Yep. So all credit to Cincinnati. I mean, those dudes played their guts out Saturday but I'll, I'll I'll take Arkansas that number they put that number there to uh to mess with your head for a reason if it were much smaller this would be easy if it were bigger I'd take South Carolina but I'm going to go Arkansas and lay it well it wouldn't be any fun if we all picked the same thing uh, <laughs> I think one thing that I think one thing that Shane Beamer has brought to 
to uh, to South Carolina has been competitive stamina. That's like a, a, a new phrase that we've heard. And again, they didn't go. They didn't. They didn't go. You know, march down and blow. You know, go toe to toe Georgia or anything. But I think in the games against mid tier SEC competition, they they showed well. Uh, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bill. They had two uh, special teams touchdowns. Is that right? Off block kicks. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, on uh, yeah. on on Saturday. So they they have they have found a way with a roster that didn't find a way under Will Muschamp. They have found a way with with what they have now. They have stayed pretty solid across the lines, which is a th- I think a place where Arkansas under Sam Pittman has been pretty good. So I, I think. You could you can expect some improvement from Spencer Rattler and uh, you know shake out some of those first game inefficiencies and I think they go in and, and muck it up in, uh, in in Fayetteville and if they don't win they they keep it uh, they they keep it close enough. Yeah, and the other thing, Pete, on that is there might be a little bit of a hangover effect for Arkansas because that was a that was mm-hmm. a tough game last Saturday yes. against Cincinnati. Next yeah. up, Taylor. Reese's uh, demolition derby game of the week. I'm interested to hear which of those is uh, is your demolition derby game for this week. A couple weird lines here. Tennessee is a six point favorite going to Pitt. The disrespect for Pitt. Well, I, uh, I I'm going to take the home underdog because if anything we we learned, it's to take the home underdog. Pitt went there and won last year. Pitt returns a majority of the people not named Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison, meaning the people who are going to Pitt is sound on both lines. They remember they played Josh Heupel when he was at UCF in a series two back to back and and played well. They they are not going to be surprised by anything, you know, by four vert you that that's going to come out of uh, that's going to come out of Tennessee. So I feel uh, I, I feel like. There's a little bit of spirit in the uh, in the pit fan base coming off that. I feel like it'll be better environment at the ketchup bottle than it than it normally is. And I think the uh, I think the Panthers are going to win outright. Um, I have to go <laughs> dismissive because... Bill Connolly. No, right. The outright kind of threw me. I'm I'm impressed. I like that. I, I mean, look, if you're going to choose a home underdog, you know, to lose by less than seven, you might as well, you know, get the better line and 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 pick them out right. Um, I have to go with Tennessee just because my numbers have been insisting all off season that that this is that Tennessee is legit. Um, you know, and and last week they ended up underestimating Tennessee pretty dramatically. So I. I I have no choice. I don't have to even think about this when um, SP plus is considered Tennessee, a borderline top 10 team this year. Uh, and if they're a borderline top 10 team this year, Pitt, Pitt gave up a few more big plays than I was expecting them to last week against West Virginia and Tennessee will just destroy you with big plays if you give them the opportunity. So um really curious about the other matchup, you know, Pitt, when Pitt has the ball, I will find out what we need to about Tennessee's defense. I think Tennessee just scores a ton of points and ends up covering. I think it'll be a high-scoring game as well. Um, I think Tennessee is going to win the game, but I'm not going to fall into the trap of taking way too many favorites. So I think uh, Pitt's def- I think Pitt's defense regarding the big plays schematically, Narduzzi historically, you know, can create some miscues, even though Hooker's been great at avoiding those. I'm going to take Pittsburgh in the points, but think that Tennessee wins the game straight up. So I think it'll be a pretty close game, much like last year. Maybe, maybe even similar to last year. But I think if I if I recall that game correctly, I think Tennessee rallied um, after Hooker yeah. came off the bench for Joe Milton. So maybe it'll be one of those games where Tennessee keeps threatening to pull away, can't quite do it. I think Tennessee wins the game, but I'll take Pittsburgh to cover. Bill, you're going to get an angry phone call from Pat Narduzzi. He dressed down Scott Van Pelt last week, so be careful for that. Uh, <laughs> I'm he, fine. That's, that's, that's cool. He's uh, you know, I mean, by the way, what was that about? <laughs> but somebody, I don't even know who said it, but something, there was a, one of the ticket brokers gave a stat, and it was relayed, and then Pat got all mad about it. I mean, we we said what it was, at least on our show. We said, you know, it's like probably between 60-40 and 65-35, you know. Um I don't know why. Uh, who knows? These guys get mad about stuff. Okay, go ahead. Just roll by eyes at him. It's like, come <laughs> on, man. Manufactured adversity. They well, manufacture but, adversity. But so. you know what? Any Anything that Narduzzi might have gotten mad about that makes you go, come on, man, was offset and mitigated and forgiven because of his brilliance wearing the mic on the pregame, pregame show on game yeah. day. He, he was phenomenal. As good as it gets. So, you know, even if I was like, come on, man, uh, you know, with the thing with uh, with Scott, 
after his performance pregame, I'm like, all right, that's a win. All right, <laughs> go ahead. That's a little inside baseball stuff, I guess. Houston is going anywhere and everywhere in Texas for a game. They're headed to Lubbock and the Red Raiders, a three point favorite. Let's go Reese Pete Bill for this one. Only two teams beat Houston last year, Cincinnati, Texas Tech. Um, Houston squandered that game a year ago. Uh, Tyler Shuck out for Texas Tech, but Donovan Smith played really well in relief, albeit against Murray State. There used to be a stat about teams coming off multiple overtime games really struggling in in the next outing. Um, I'm I'm going to boy, this is a tough one. I'm going to go. <laughs> I, I'm going to ride the Houston bandwagon one more time. Although the early performance against UTSA, who I know is a good team, I'd sort of had Houston pegged as the team I thought was going to be the best out of the group of five. Um, I know Pete likes BYU, and I, I do too. I like them as well. I had cause for not believing that watching the first game, but I'm going to stick with Houston at least this week. And I'll, since the spread's so small, I'll, I'll take the I'll take the Cougars. Uh, I'm going to listen to myself. I think that's probably it's me, right? It's my turn. Yep. Yep. Okay, I don't want to jump you, Bill. It is I, now. I just, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like Texas Tech um, and the team Matt Wells left behind is just talented like I think they're good I think they're good at receiver and I feel like Donovan Smith people people in that program have felt like he's better than Tyler Shuck so I don't feel like that is a like huge drop off and I think some of the knee-jerk instinct is gonna be oh their quarterbacks hurt they're gonna you know and it's a little weird they're favored over Houston because people perceive Houston better so Lubbock is a funky place to play um I've just seen more weird lines there and more like like mediocre built big 12 early good season vibes go die there in, <laughs> in, in Lubbock. So I'm going to listen to myself and take the home. Well, they're home favorite. They're not a home. Yeah. Home dog, right. Yes. Yeah. They're home favorite. Yeah. I'm just gonna take the home team. I just think, I think that there's enough, there's enough good juju in that tech program right now where they, they can figure out a way to, uh, to, to beat the Coug. Yeah, I, I agree. I, Donovan Smith is really good. Like, if he wasn't as good as Tyler Shug, it was, you know, 1% worse. And and they had a really good situation there. Um, I, so here's – this is great podcast fodder here. Um, I, I'm going to talk about a measure I follow each week. It's called post-game win expectancy. Um, I love that, by the way. Yeah, all the all the stuff that goes into my SP Plus ratings, all the predictive stuff, success rates and whatnot – um, basically just, you know, the post game win expectancy takes all those stats, tosses them into the air and basically says, well, if you look at the stats from this game, you would have expected to win X percent of the time. Uh, there was one extremely unlikely loss or win last week. And it was Houston. Houston's post game win expectancy against UTSA was 4%. Um, basically, <laughs> you know, a one out of 25 chance there that Clayton tune takes that many sacks. The offense stinks for that long. Um, and, and, you know, UTSA does all the damage they do. And then Houston still figures out a way to win. It was extremely unlikely. Um, and I think Texas tech is better than UTSA. So I'm going with tech right here. I do think Donovan Smith is solid. I'm, I, I obviously no reason to, to, to trust the, uh, the Texas tech defense just yet. Although I think it's more talented than it's been in a while, but I just, I think, uh, Texas tech with Zach Kitley and all that other stuff, I think they have too much to offer here. This next game, when it was brought up on the Stanford Stephen the Bear podcast, they both just started shrieking about how they wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> Iowa State going to Iowa, and oh Iowa is a three and a half point favorite. What's the over under? It's a great question. That I nine four forty <laughs> or forty one. <laughs> is it double figures? Yeah, I'll, I'll, pick, I'll sixes. Go. pick sixes count. Okay, I'll 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 go first here. I don't know who you said Taylor, but I'm going to jump on this one. Iowa, because there's no O, just I-wa. Iowa owns, sorry, Iowa owns the Cyclones. And there is no reason after that awful offensive performance last week to pick Iowa to beat anybody. But until I see it, I will take the Hawkeyes over the Cyclones. Until I see the Cyclones do it. I will take the Hawkeyes against them every time because they can find a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory 
when they see those black and gold helmets across the way. When they see that herky Hawkeye on the headgear, they step back. And until I see it, I will assume that Riley Moss has a pick six and, and Jack Kemmel takes a ball away from somebody and goes in and scores and that Iowa State muffs three punts when they have an opportunity to, to win the game. Uh, it's in their head, and I need to see the breakthrough. If they break through this year or any other year, they will beat them by a 1,000. They, they, <laughs> it won't be one of these one- or two-point games whenever. And, look, Matt Campbell's a great coach. He's, they've done a great job with the program, and probably they'll break through someday. Maybe it's Saturday. If they do, it won't be close. They will smash them and take out, like, a half decade plus of frustration. But until I see it, horrible offense and all, I'll go with uh, I'll go with the Hawkeyes. Yeah, just last year, Iowa gained like 160 yards and won by 10 against Iowa State. I uh, called that game. Just, it was, I mean, the self-destruction was remarkable. No, I, I this everything about this game is just bait. Um, like, there's absolutely no reason to think Iowa scores even 10 points without, a, you know, a couple of, of return scores. There's absolutely no reason to think that, you know, just looking at, at what Hunter Deckers did, everything we've heard about Hunter, Hunter Deckers, it feels like this is a great opportunity for him to really kind of shine and, and prove that, that the hype that was coming out of Ames is real. Like, this is all just perfectly... Uh, set up for everybody to assume Iowa State wins by 17 and, and gets the monkey off their back, and then Iowa says ha 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 and and, and wins like you know 13 to nothing or something. So I'm gonna give Pete. I'm gonna make sure that Pete has an open floor here. I'm gonna I'm gonna step on the Reich again. This is uh, we're gonna go. To, I'm gonna take the same logic Reese did, but do the opposite and basically just guess. I, I'm gonna keep guessing Iowa State until it actually happens. Um, I, I I'm gonna go against every impulse i have and say that iowa state covers what did your numbers say bill or did the numbers uh, well, reject all, it because they just didn't want to be computed into to, into what iowa did well, last week the, somehow somehow the numbers project that both teams are going to score in the 20s which you know uh if you ever want to doubt math i think this is a pretty good <laughs> opportunity for it but um uh, yeah, no, it says basically Iowa by 2.7 so it's again really really close to the line it's not a lot of help and uh, yeah, the floor is yours, I guess. You can go. There's not going to be a unanimous pick here. Yeah, uh, pass the rake because I would like to step on it as well. Um, I just feel like Hunter Deckers, to say Hunter Deckers is better than Brock Purdy is ridiculous, right? Brock Purdy could be the best quarterback in Iowa State history, and Hunter Deckers has played, you know, 10 minutes, right? Um, I do think that there is a feeling around the Iowa State program that, that Hunter Deckers has it. Um, he went out and, and, and again, it was against a, uh, an inferior opponent to, uh, to, to open the season, but he went out and it was 33 yard passes, Xavier Hutchinson, 33 yard touchdown passes, Xavier Hutchinson, eight yard touchdown passes, Xavier Hutchinson. He went out and quite frankly, didn't, didn't flinch. Now it's gonna be a whole lot different than Jack Campbell bearing in on him on, uh, on Saturday in a hostile environment. But I just, I just go back to Iowa has two scholarship wide receivers available on Saturday. And that's something to watch if you are going to invest in this game, uh, some of their health situations at uh, at wide receiver. But I just think there's a little bit of an element of diamondism with Iowa State that Iowa just frankly doesn't have right now. So absent some more special teams magic, I am going to take the Cyclones to get off the hex. Did you guys see that move Jarrell Brock made on the sidelines? Um one of his oh. oh on a run set unbelievable yeah. he's oh the like the sh- yes yeah. yes Just yes start and stop on the left side on amazing yeah. amazing what do we got taylor next game kentucky going to florida the gators a six point favorite let's go pete bill actually let's go reese pete bill um i've got to believe that that game took a lot out of florida I'm not as high on Kentucky as some are. And Anthony Richardson is a dude who elevates everybody. Kentucky's going to have to keep them out of the red zone because if they get uh, specifically inside the 10, going to have to keep them out of goal to go because if they get there, they're going to score. And Ford, I mean. I'm going to take Kentucky in the points because I think it's, uh, uh, it's going to be a, a tight game as opportunity for Levis to 
step up in a big game, big stage. I think Kentucky hasn't beaten them in consecutive years and, you know, really got the notes here. First time since 76, 77 is what they're trying to do. Um, it's uh, only the fourth time that it's been a ranked matchup since Bear Bryant left Lexington. <laughs> so I, I'm going to, what I get, how many points am I getting with Kentucky? Six. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, six points. Yeah, I'll, I'll take, uh, I don't think Ford is dominant enough to beat a good team, especially coming off that, uh, that demolition derby they had with the Utes last week. Uh, I'll take Kentucky on the points in, in that one. I will, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to follow up uh, in, uh, and, you know, when, when the two guys who go two and seven unite on their picks, you know, to go the opposite way. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that, if, if there's one thing that Richardson taught us during his brief career at Florida is that consistency has been an issue. He was a magician against Utah, and I don't want to take anything away. Um, I think I think Kentucky is built sort of in the same fundamental sound way that the Utes are, and I do think there will be demolition derby qualities to this game. I think Florida is energized as a program and playing better um, th- than they were as they kind of sputtered away in the end under, uh, un- under Mullen. But I to to see them get back up for this game is going to be a challenge for for a program that hit a little bit of a lull, um, especially towards the end of last season. So I'm going to take the Wildcats with some points, and I expect this to be a little bit of a, a you know uh, look. All, every NFL scout in the country is going to be there, right? Because the, these are two quarterbacks who could end up in the top five. And I think antithetical to that, I think this game is going to be a little bit of a, sl- a slobber knocker. And uh, I could see Kentucky winning, but I would think Florida wins a close game again. I uh, reluctantly make this one unanimous. I do think um, this is one where my numbers actually disagree with the line a decent amount. They have uh, Florida by 0.4, just a straight up toss up basically. And and so that gives me, I, I know Kentucky's still, you know, playing coy with some suspensions and Chris Rodriguez is not on the depth chart, but Mark Stoops is trying to go out of his way not to say that he won't play. Um, but I like smoke. I like um, Kentucky's just so big in the middle. They, their offensive line really wasn't all that dominant last week, but they're just so big and it's a, such a unique matchup. And it feels like coming a- after Utah, especially um, and, and the physicality that that game required having to do it again against a Kentucky team that probably doesn't have quite as much uh, defensive upside, at least as, as Utah. Yeah. This one feels like I can see Florida winning this for sure, but um, yeah, give me the points there. I, I'm picking Kentucky too. Let's pause on the picks here before we go into that meaty late night window. We're going to talk USC, an eight point favorite at Stanford. Reese Davis flying from Austin to Palo Alto. If you want to hear all about that, check out the Wednesday podcast. But uh, let's re- lead off with Reese. Your thoughts on this game that you're going to call on Saturday night? Well, USC has so much speed on the outside they're probably still lacking a little bit uh interior defensive front they've got some guys they'd like to see come along as pass rushers i think this is a game that will be decided by uh you know the tempo of the game if uh if stanford can kind of slow it down run the ball effectively with ej smith have uh have mckee hit some big shots down the field then, you know, then maybe they can stay in it. But I think USC is a lot more talented than them. Stanford hasn't been very good uh, recently. I think, you know, they've beaten Colgate and what they've lost. Uh, they've lost something like six of their last seven or something like that, or seven of the last eight against, uh, you know, against FBS opponents. So, you know, I, I think it has a chance to be a good game, mostly because USC has a little bit of a, something they're fully aware of. They've had, some mental hurdles going to the farm. I, you know, I asked, uh, I asked Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley if they were prepared for how quiet, uh, you know, <laughs> it was going to be on the farm. Um, you know, I think what now I'm, I'm looking at my notes here is they've lost their last seven uh, Stanford has against FBS opponents. So I think it's a, a big hurdle for them. Uh, I think SC, you know, probably is, a, is the team you'd look at, and it's one everyone wants to see. But Stanford, Stanford is looking at this as an opportunity to prove that, you know, that most of their problems were due to 
the restrictions imposed by the university and the state surrounding the pandemic. And that now that that's been alleviated, that they've they've improved. One story, one quick story I do want to share. Uh, Holly Rose is going to have a conversation with Caleb Williams on college game day that I know you're going to want to see on Saturday. I don't, and I don't know if this was included in it because I spoke to Caleb the, the night before and he, he just finished filming this PSA for um, mental health awareness called Seize the Awkward. We talked about what that meant exactly. He talked about seizing the awkward conversations to let people know that they can speak up about their mental health. And I followed that up by asking him what challenges to your mental health did the move from Oklahoma to USC have and he told this pretty remarkable story about after the bowl game that he was you know so much was going on Lincoln had left he was distraught he was up with his family and and some of his you know closest supporters after the bowl game and they reached the floor of the hotel where they were staying and he he basically broke down in tears to the point where you know he couldn't even make it inside his hotel room to be able to have that emotional moment in private and you know, re- the recounting of that story, I think it was pretty easy in the moment to say, well, he's following Lincoln Riley, he's going to Los Angeles, NIL money, blah, blah, blah. Pretty good reminder that even someone as talented as he is, they still have stuff. Everybody's got something going on. And it was a, it was a hurdle for him. Now, he's, he's really happy. One of the things he said is that he enjoys being he enjoys being nobody in Los Angeles. Now I'm sure that's not true on campus at USC, but when you go out and about, it's sort of it was a little bit different from being the Oklahoma quarterback in Norman and also being the fan favorite in Norman for when he ascended to the job from Spencer Rattler. So really, really engaging dude, obviously talented on the field. Uh, this this is something that USC has sort of as sort of pointed toward because of their lack of success against Stanford generally and against Stanford there particularly. And you'll recall almost almost a year to the day that Stanford ran through USC and got the Trojans coach fired last year, which uh, sort of got things started for this event. So uh, looking forward to uh, seeing the game and looking forward to calling the game with, with Kirk and Holly. Always a, a great pleasure to do that. Yeah, we're not uh, we're not going to pick this game so Reese can uh, maintain his objectivity on his uh, bougie private flight uh, that we teased him about on Wednesday. Um, yes, I I want to echo what what Reese said. He stole my point right at the end. I thought I had it that Stanford beat USC so bad that they fired their coach. You know, within forty eight hours from the game, and that game was thirty five to thirteen at the end of three quarters. And Stanford is the ultimate test for USC's weakness, and I think this will be really important. Stanford has always had Maulers up front on both lines, and when Stanford is at its best, it is a point of attack program. And when you dominate the point of attack, a little bit like Michigan State under D'Antonio, like if you dominate the point of attack, you're going to win. And if you don't, it could be really, really ugly. And Stanford. Dominated USC at the point of attack last year and then didn't really dominate anybody else. And so Colgate is not a great litmus to see if this can be a quintessential Stanford team that we remember early from the uh, early from the Shaw era. Um, yeah, I will be uh, I will be really curious to see what uh, what, what rolls out here, because if it goes the other way. I, you know, David Shaw it has done such a good job there, but it would, it'll be an interesting crossroads for them if they do continue to struggle in league play like they did last year. Yeah, it's really easy to think of this as, uh, you know, USC Stanford. It's a test of USC's everything, really, uh, and and not just because of what happened last year. But this is obviously we will learn something about their line play. We'll learn something about their defense. Um, you know, it, it's a really interesting test. It, it, we're gonna, this is a humongous test for Stanford too. Not necessarily that they have to win, but they have been aside from winning a couple of close games in that 2020 season, like th- this has been a pretty long downward trajectory for Stanford that, that started well before COVID. Um, and, and, you know, they ended up, they started really slowly last week against Colgate, but they, they ended up hitting their cruising altitude and, and doing just fine. The, you know, full, the full game stats were great. You know, that that's all good. Um, but they kind of have a lot to prove here. And I will say we're not making picks. If you are the type to make picks or place money on certain things, I, I did notice that the, the over is like over 60 at this point. 
Um, and these two teams play at very slow tempos. So I feel pretty good uh, about where that game's headed. We could have like a, you know, 38 to 21 kind of situation and have it still go under. So I will point that out, but no picks, I guess. That's a good but point, Bill. I didn't mind you guys making a pick, but I do appreciate <laughs> Pete uh, trying to maintain the integrity of the broadcast Saturday night, knowing full well that I'd be rooting against you guys, whatever you, whatever you pick. So I, I do, nice. I do appreciate that. But I was, you know, nothing personal to either Stanford or USC, but you know, I need, I need uh, Pete and Bill to miss some picks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we don't want you rooting against our picks on the broadcast. We it's a it's a no, long day for you. We need you. No, we need I'm, you tunnel, tunneled in and focused. You know that that's the, that's the funny thing that when you're calling a game or doing a show, I know it's hard for fans to understand and, and even more difficult to get fans to believe. You are not thinking about that at all ever yeah. because you're just you're kind of in the moment of what you're doing, and sure. uh, you know you're not worried about rooting this or that. Now, afterwards, you're going to pay the price. Like when I talk to you and, you know, you crushed me for some bad pick I made. But, you know, other than that, it's you never in the moment, you never, ever think of that. But fans hear what they want to hear, which is awesome because that because they care so much. They want they want everyone to see the game through their prism, which is through the prism of how does it affect my team? (laughs) <laughs> which is which is great, and that's what that's what makes it fun. But uh, so there's there's no point in in trying to convince them otherwise. But it is true. It is. A couple more games here in this late window. Uh, let's try and get through these quickly here. Baylor at BYU. BYU a three point favorite. Maybe the most intriguing game on the board for Saturday. I'm I'm well. Okay. Listeners of podcast know I am on the Cougar bandwagon. I'm rolling on the Cougar bandwagon. I. I I love this game so much. Um, this really is kind of a styles make fights kind of deal. And and this should be really, it's kind of interesting because, you know, both of these teams, it's really easy to immediately start talking about their line play. Baylor's offensive line is ridiculously experienced and very good. Their defensive line is probably better. BYU's offensive line is ridiculously experienced and very good. Uh, their, their defensive line is experienced. We'll find out how good they are uh, on Saturday. But like with the line play, maybe canceling itself out, then suddenly it becomes kind of your Blake Shapen versus Jaron Hall kind of matchup here. And man, I don't know. Like Shapen was was pretty much perfect against Albany. It was Albany, um, but they even without Jared Burse, I, I, it appears that Albany has a pretty good pass rush because they did pressure him quite a bit. Um, you know, hit him a couple more times than Baylor probably preferred, which maybe is a very good sign for BYU. But uh, when he got the pass off, he was like 17 for 20, uh, hit a couple deep balls, uh, was as accurate as every Baylor fan hoped he would be with a pretty remodeled receiving core. Um, so I, I, it seems like both of these teams might be the have the top 15 potential that, that a lot of people said in the offseason. I, I was less sure about Baylor. I'm still going to go BYU, though. I do think um, they're at home, they're – uh, Jaron Hall is very, very good. This is an excellent opportunity for for people to, who don't know enough about Jaron Hall to, to catch up. And I, I think with uh, with with Puka Nakua and and Christopher Smith there, he's got the weapons he needs too. So I think I trust Bay, uh, BYU a little bit more, but I don't really care. I just want to watch this game. Uh, Puka's uh, healthy, agree. right, Bill? Because uh, Puka limped off the field last week, but I, I think he's he's I back. And so healthy. I didn't see yeah, that okay. he was out. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Sorry, Reece. no, I. I, I, I love this game, too. Uh, told by a member of the Baylor staff this week that BYU's had this thing circled since they lost last year. But I don't – both you guys loving on BYU so much, uh, foreshadowing <laughs> the Big 12 future. I'm going to say that the uh, Big 12 reigning champs go in there and, and pull it out. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Baylor. I think it'll be a great game, though. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it, too. Now, Google does tell me that both Nekua and Gunnar Romney are, are game time decisions, quote unquote. And I realize, you know, we have no idea if that's true or not. Um, that's what they're going to say regardless. But it, may, it might be a little more questionable than I thought. I'm still going BYU, though. Last game for the day on the board, Oregon State, a one point favorite going to Fresno State. Let's go Reese, Pete, Bill. Okay. I really like this Oregon State team. Really impressed watching them against Boise State. Chance Nolan uh, threw a couple of picks, but they they were the dominant better team. But those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. (laughs) Beave is 0-6 in 
in Fresno all time. Jonathan Smith was a quarterback of a great beef team, which I think had been on the cover of Sports Illustrated. They were one of the preseason favorites. They went down to the Valley, big green V on the back of the headgears, and they got trucked 44 to 24. I really like Oregon State, but I think it's still going to be really hot there. You got Ted Head making a, making a reappearance in Fresno State. I'll, I'm going to, as much as I like Oregon State and am bullish on their future, I'm taking Fresno State. I've been a, I've been a Beaver bandwagon member. Our faithful listeners will know, and I'm going to I'm going to carry it on. I just think so. This is obviously Jake Hayner has been a Pac-12 slayer. We have seen that in the past. He went in the Rose Bowl and completely sashayed uh, through the Bruins last year. I, I just I like this Beaver team. I think they're going to be in the conversation in the in the Pac-12 North. I think. They they have shown and Chance Owen has shown like the power of consistency within within the program and I think they can go down there and push Fresno around a little bit and uh, I I think I'm going to take them to uh, to to win healthily outright. Yeah, I think um, one thing that running a predictive rating system has taught me is try as hard as possible not to overreact to something unexpected in week one. Um, and so really everything I'm saying right now goes for both Oregon State and Arizona. Um, both of them looked much better than I expected them to look. I, I, I thought Oregon State would have a good chance of beating Boise State. Didn't expect them to be up 17 nothing in about 20 minutes. And the only reason it was 17 nothing and not worse, I think they lost a the fumble in there um, that kind of, you know, that kept them from scoring again. But um, after that, after the 17 nothing you know, reality kind of settled in and they were pretty even from that point forward. And, you know, they went 34, 17 is a lovely game. Uh, same with Arizona. Like they, they jumped on San Diego state early. I did not see that coming. Um, and, and they looked really good. Now you got to do it again. That, that's pretty much the, I, I'm daring both Oregon state and Arizona to surprise me twice. Um, and, and I'm going to go with Oregon. I'm going to go with Fresno, excuse me. Um, Fresno is just a really solid team. I thought they were the best mountain West team coming into the season. Obviously. I mean, je- the, the coaching change always is going to give you pause, but Jeff Tepford's, you know, pretty good at his job, especially in his first year in a job. And so um, I, I think Fresno is just a slightly better team still. And, you know, if Oregon State is, if Oregon State does it again, then I'm in. And then I'm all in on the Beavers. I'll give you a quick lock, and I know better, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> uh, I loved what Arizona did for me in the Superdog last week, but there's still a lot of growing to do. And even with the – uh, long and storied history of the inexplicable Mike Leach face plants. I'm, I think, uh, I think 10 and a half. Um, I think Mississippi state rolls them pretty good. I, I would lock that one up. Yeah. I feel pretty good. As far as the closest thing to locks, I see Mississippi state is uh, that one. Again, I'm daring Arizona here. If they do it again, I'm in, but um, I like Mississippi state minus 10 and a half. And I think I like uh, it was 67.5 was the USC Stanford point total. It was even higher than I was thinking. Um, that's a really high point total for two slow tempos. I like that one, too. I'm going to take the the who's is my lock going to uh, go into Champagne and getting four and a half. Uh, the who's just ragdolled Illinois last year, 42 to 14. And I just don't see a team that was that dominant and has looked fine early this season. Uh, you know, going there and, and losing by a touchdown. That that would be surprising me. Illinois look better. Certainly, we know we're on the upright Tommy Tommy DeVito brigade, but I just think Brennan Armstrong and a really good group of skill um can go in can go in there and, and win by win by two touchdowns. Strong super dog candidate on Saturday morning, <laughs> though that decision has not yet been made. Gentlemen, a lot of fun. Always fun to yeah. pick these games. Looking forward to uh to the day in Austin and the evening on the farm and all you hope you guys have a, a great college football weekend all of our listeners we thank you guys for tuning in and if you're following our advice well you've been warned <laughs> we'll see you next week <laughs>